1: hey William how you doing <laughs> I'm doing very well how are you I'm okay I've just been uh, reading your the bio from your website and talking about uh, like uh, your your uh, YouTube channel and um, just introducing people to the future you know you, you got your YouTube channel and your website and uh, the two guys in the Bible and your relationship with Don Preston and all that kind of stuff so. I've already I've already done the introduction. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry about the mix up. Oh, it's okay. It happens. So you know, it's it's, it's all casual here. So it's just a conversation. My hope is to uh, <clears throat> introduce to the folks that uh, will listen to in my show uh, the importance of the message of uh, preterism. So I've already read about the definition of preterism, and I read uh, the list of questions that I, was, I can ask you. Um, but <clears throat> before we get going on this, uh, first of all, I've been enjoying your, your YouTube channel and your work, so I appreciate that very much. Uh, sounds like we have a lot in common. It sounds like, uh, well, how long have you been playing bass, first of all?
0: Well, I, I <laughs> actually no longer play it, um, but I started playing it before I graduated high school and uh, played uh, quite regularly up until about age 21 or 22. And then um, when I became Christian, I actually sold the bass because I didn't want it to be a distraction from you know, my um, growth as a Christian. And I sold it to a guy who still has uh, that 1974 Fender Jazz bass that I sold him.
1: Ooh. And as a matter of fact,
0: <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> uh, he is one of the best bass players in the city of Memphis, to be quite frank with you. yeah, uh, I, used to, I used to play with his mom in his mom's group, and she bought the bass for him. And uh, he has just turned out to be a phenomenal uh, bass player. and plays with a lot of the professionals, records for a lot of the music that you hear on the air, he, he plays.
1: Right. Memphis, there you go. Music Center, Mer- music app. At- uh, epicenter there um yeah i played bass uh i'm 49 so i quit playing i uh, must have been five years ago six years ago okay and i started in high school with the upright bass and orchestra and then you know the bands and all that kind of stuff and recordings on never went anywhere with it per se although i had just like you, um, one of the guys that I started in high school, end ended up being a multi-millionaire as a music pr- producer and all that kind of stuff. So, cool. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I, I don't. You know, uh, it was always about the music for me and about expression, and it was therapy and how to deal with the uh, coping with the the world around me. You know. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, I had played a couple of Rickenbackers and. And don't thing I have left now was my. Goat. I remember
0: those. I remember those. Yeah, my, I yeah. have a mentor who had a Rickenbacker.
1: They're nice. Uh, I, my, yeah. I I have one right now. It's a Godin. It's a fretless it's from okay. Canada. Yeah. So this is kind of fun, but. Uh, no, nah, I just got too. I got have. Uh, got nailed with multiple sclerosis, and. Uh, I think last time I played, I, in fact I remember last time I played. It was like one of the best. As far as you know the flow and all that thing, and just uh, musically, that the best I probably ever played. And uh, but it, the next day, I end up with a feeling like I had a, a hangover. Wow, and of course, I didn't drink that night. I just but uh, it turned out I have, I have MS, so just uh, playing bass is not that good for someone with MS, just yeah, the low frequencies and all that kind of stuff. So, anyways, and it sounds like uh. An artist as well, huh?
0: Well, I I did a little drawing when I was in um, grade school, um, learned how to draw, and then um, just did random drawings. I never became a really, really good artist, but I became, you know, the kind of artist that could um, draw a picture of you, and at least people would recognize that it was you. Uh, But I did, you know, a little artwork like that in in school, and and, uh, even did some in the early part of my ministry, you know, when I would draw illustrations for sermons or lessons uh, from that perspective. But you know, I just have a little bit of an artistic feel, and that's, you know, pretty much it. But uh, I never did go for uh, the full-time um, art thing. But I like art, and um, you know, it's just another form of creative expression.
1: Well, I turned on the video just for a little bit. We don't need it. I already know what you look like. I figure let's just you can see my ugly mug for a little bit. And All right. this, so, you know, I'm a human being and I'm not some guy. <laughs> so I'll turn it off because it interferes with our, our connection. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, could you, uh, do you mind telling folks a little bit about who you are? Um, and um, uh, you must have a little bit of a, a rebellious streak in you to, uh, go down the road that you've gone down. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: I don't know if we could call it rebellious. I mean, maybe that does work. Um, and, I, and it wasn't that I was seeking to rebel. Uh, you know, I came from the background of the Church of Christ, just like Don Preston. And uh, my mother and grandmother were members of the church. I, that's how I became a Christian. I learned uh, through them, I was actually playing music at the time and had a um, concert in um, Europe, that a tour that we were going to do in Europe, and a uh, recording session that we were going to do in New Jersey the week that I became a Christian. And I canceled both of them huh. uh, because of it. And, uh, but at any rate, um, you know, we had been indoctrinated to teach thus says the Lord, you know, find out what the Bible says, teach that. It was all authoritative. Uh, we quoted 2 Timothy 3.16 a lot, and Second 2 Timothy 2.15, you know, study to show yourself approved, all scriptures inspired of God, and uh, be like the Bereans, you know, who were more noble and they searched the word of God daily. That was ingrained in us, and then I went to uh, seminary for two years. It was like four years of college crammed into two years, and, you know, we were Taking tests every day, memorizing passages of scripture—a test almost every day, I should say—and just fully. And, and that school was even more intense in terms of um, believing the Bible, teaching the Bible, using it as the authoritative Word of God than even the churches were. And many of our churches were filled with ministers who came from that school or a school like it, but it being in the, you know, South was definitely very strong in these um, you know, biblical um, principles in terms of the Word of God being inspired and all authoritative. So um, it was one of the things where you, you prided yourself on being able to use book, chapter, and verse for everything that you said, and then to add with that, of course, logic and reason so that what you said made sense and you could prove You know, another one of those scriptures was 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So that's kind of the orientation that I came from. And in the process of that, I just continued to study and, you know, got into a study on the book of Revelation uh, and the date, which was the only thing that I was trying to focus on at the time. And the reason for that was because of all the speculation around the book of Revelation and that I knew that uh, from reading and study that, it depended on where you assigned the date that would determine how you applied the prophecy. And my conclusions led me to a pre-70 AD date. And that was contrary to what the church generally accepted, uh, but there was a very prominent preacher in the church who held that position and who, um, I mean, when I say prominent, I mean a person who basically taught uh, and defended, uh, quote, you know, Church of Christ views uh, that was accepted by them in many other cases. As a matter of fact, he stemmed, he, he stemmed the tide of premillennialism in the church for the most part. And so a lot of people uh, held him in high esteem. And
1: now, who, now, who is this? Is this King okay. you're talking about?
0: No, 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 no. no. This was 4E Wallace Jr.
1: Okay. Right. And,
0: and, um, and so he wrote a book, a commentary on Revelation. Well, I got that book and Josephus and started to study and had pretty much been convinced because – you know, in the congregation where I worship, they took a split view on um, Matthew 24, that it was divided into two. Some of them took the position that it was divided into two subjects, and others believed that it was in and out all the way through. You know, one verse might be speaking of the return of the Lord. The other one is speaking of 70 A.D., and there was no consistency to how they approached it. Well... I came to the conclusion that all of it was fulfilled in 70 AD. And, yeah,
1: I think, you can, um, I, th- I think you can only come to one. T- when you go down this road of uh, reason and logic, you can only come down to one conclusion, either all of it's bunk and nonsense or just what you're saying, that it was all fulfilled in 70 AD. There's nowhere else to go if you're going to be honest uh, honest the, about it, you know, you have to look honest about it.
0: Yeah, that's correct. So from that Point of view, after I uh, discovered Luke 21, 23, 22, it says all things written would be fulfilled when Jerusalem was destroyed. I began to look at all of my previous views about, you know, a future coming. And I said, these views cannot be true if this verse is true. And so I immediately started to go back into the Old Testament, look at the prophecies of Daniel 12, uh, prophecies in Isaiah 25, and Psalm 97, 98, etc and um and everything was beginning to line up and i knew that if they were going to fit in that time frame they had to um be using a lot of apocalyptic language and so everything was just lining up and then as i began to share it with people i started to get the pushback from them because i mean i was a rather young christian and um my only aim was to do that thus says the Lord thing, you know, and and prove all things that which was good. So I had no rebellious spirit at the time. Um, some of that now did develop later, <laughs> I guess, in a sense, uh, in defending myself. But from the perspective of it, it was more of a um, proactive, positive approach to look, here's something I've discovered. I'd like to share this with you. I'm excited about this or whatever. And that was it. And then I got the pushback, and it was strong. It was like, um, oh, yeah. in some cases, very vindictive and and um, just very destructive spirit uh, from that uh, from that point of view.
1: Some cases, so, some cases. Are you yeah, sure yeah, well, just about. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Let's be honest about it. this. You know, before well, before you call, I just want to interject here just a little bit because I was okay. sharing with the who are listening to this is uh, the uh, the importance of this message. Because if everything has been fulfilled, as the Bible clearly states in the words yeah. in the Bible, um, that impacts all the three major religions of uh, Western civilization—Judaism, um, Christianity, and Islam—because exactly. all of it's, they have this futuristic eschatology of a destruction, doomsday, and the second coming scenario. That's affected the lives of billions of people. If it is not true, then people have been living a lie, and it's and uh, you know who would benefit the most from this scenario. So, anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to. No
0: problem. That's an excellent point that you bring in because uh, each of those religions have attacked Christianity and the inspiration of the Bible and the messiahship of Christ based upon. The teachings of eschatology, the claim that Jesus would return in the first century generation—they all say he lied. And at the same time, the truth of that is what destroys those views in their futurism and in their claims toward inspiration or toward being a valid uh, religion of the day. But back to you know what I was saying. You know, there were a few who were amiable toward the position. They didn't necessarily accept it, but they weren't opposed to it because they had come across many of these passages themselves that they couldn't answer and they had no answers to them. They just, you know, so uh, they didn't know what it was and um, they weren't so quick to say it. But the majority of those who, quote, were supposed to be something, um, you know, it, took issues against it because i mean i guess for several reasons but one of the reasons it would make them feel like hey we have saved the church you know and um from this era and so they felt very good in uh, taking that position and yet we've seen this happen over 30 years some of these men have changed their views over time but that's kind of how i got into it now you know i as a young man i you know was exposed to christianity but did not become a Christian until I was about 19 years of age, and, um, and then once I did, um, I just went and dived in with, you know, both feet and um, studied as much as I could, invested in my own education, uh, buying books and everything, and that's how I came across, you know, Josephus and Four Wallace, I'd, I'd make a trip to the bookstore every week that I got paid, and um, any other time in the week when I had a little extra money and could buy a book, and so my library just continued to grow, I continued to study, and, uh, and then once I learned this, I was pushed into a corner of having to defend it, so I had to um, learn as much as I could about it so I could defend myself, and I knew that it was true, uh, there were a lot of unanswered questions, I didn't have all the answers at the time, and I ended up writing a paper. Um, in defense of the view that um, ended up getting spread I made a few copies of it and uh, some people who were likewise studying it I had a friend um, who was uh, in another part of Tennessee that was studying it and he was a mutual friend of, of Don Preston as well and he shared the paper with Don and so I get this phone call from Don Preston one day back in 1983 or 82 or somewhere around there um, saying, hey, you don't know me, but I'd like to ask some questions. I've got a paper of yours, and I find it very intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> and so we began to talk, and, of course, we've been talking now almost every day or every other day, at least every week for the last 30-some years. And um,
1: Wow, I didn't know you guys knew each other that well. Okay, guy's cool. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know, obviously – That ended my um, career with the Church of Christ as far as um, anything related to the the fellowship of the Churches of Christ. Uh, They just wasn't going to have a man in the pulpit teaching that Christ had already come. And um, and then I, you know, started a church in my home. We actually started another lady's home who didn't want to stop just because, you know, they terminated me. And they wanted to continue moving forward. And so we started for a while in her home, moved to my home later. And then they finally were able to erect a a building, a modest building that we're still in to this day. And um, and then the rest, you know, I think while I was in school, someone mentioned the name of Max King. And it was actually the son-in-law of Gus Nichols who actually had debated Max King. So he was one of the instructors, one of my professors in school. Hmm. And when he would get, you know, come across a passage like Matthew 3 in our um, Matthew class, he would say, Well, brethren, you know, Max King says this happened in 70 A.D. <laughs> he says, I don't see how he can say that. And every time he would mention 70 A.D. <laughs> or mention Max King, my ears would perk up. I'm saying, wow, somebody else is seeing this, too. And I didn't even know who Max was at the time. So after that went on for, I guess, you know, about uh, a third of the quarter, um, I said, I've got to find out who this guy is. So I went to Harding Graduate Bookstore in Memphis and asked if they had any books by him. And they had two dusty, hardback covers of his book, The Spirit of Prophecy. I said, I will take both of them. I mean, they had to reach under the counter and find them and dust them off, uh, as if they were hiding them or something. I don't know. But anyway, I got the book, and uh, I shared one with a friend. You know, I read it, and then I shared one copy with the friend because, he, you know, he couldn't find a copy. And we both started learning, and he was, you know, very much encouraged and enthused by it as well. And I just saw Max was much more developed than I was at the time, and, and. um Uh, That's an understatement. But I had seen the same things. He just was able to express them um, a lot more clearly than I could. And then he had his address in the book, the name of the church. And it, I mean, the the Church of Christ, Parkman Road Church of Christ. And I said, wow, this guy's in the Church of Christ as well. So I went in the phone book, looked up the church, and called him on the phone and then we started a relationship from that phone call um and that ended up with me speaking on the living press you know speaking on the um, e- the eschatology conference the annual eschatology covenant eschatology conferences every year and i did that from about 1989 all the way through to 1995 i believe um up until almost you know a little after the tim king era uh, when tim joined the group but for, the, for those years i um i spoke Every year, and um, and then wrote for the Living Presence, which started around 1990, I think, or 91, somewhere in that time frame. So I wrote for the Living Presence um, during those years as well, and just you know, just an interesting ride. We enjoyed it. It was it was a lot of fun. It was it was tough. Those were the days of riding those little dust what we call them, uh, what do you call them, dust croppers or something, these, these planes that they, uh, oh, yeah. you know, going Seth. into the small small airports, you know, those prop planes, and they're shaking and bumping and everything, but it was, it, it was, it, that was the only weird thing about the trip sometimes, the scary thing about the trip is riding those things, trying to make sure they go up and they come down, but anyway, um, a <laughs> lot, of, lot of fun during those times, but anyway, this, this instructor, uh, would come across these passages and that's how I ended up meeting Max and we formed a very strong friendship over the years uh, I was you know I remember when he first published the, the um, his massive volume the cross and the Parousia. Uh we would have conversations almost not not daily but you know pretty regularly uh, concerning things that were going on and and uh, just had a wonderful time with him and uh, and then after that You know, the rest was, you know, I started to write a little bit and uh, just continued to go even after I, uh, you know, stopped associating with the uh, living presence from that perspective. But Don and I kept in touch, and we sort of encouraged each other over the years. There were times when he was, um, you know, uh, he felt like he was just kind of spinning his wheels a little bit because he was doing all this work and all this labor, and it seems like nobody was responding. And, um And then all of a sudden, well, not necessarily all of a sudden, but just over time, you know, it began to get some traction, and his ministry started to flourish a bit. And then the same thing kind of happened to me. I felt like I wasn't getting traction. And then by us working together, and then I think in 19, uh, when was that? Um, I guess some 15 years ago, he started the Preterist Pilgrim Weekend, and he said, I'm going to make sure that we continue to have seminars and he did. And so I was a guest on the first seminar. I don't know if I made the first one because we had a death in our congregation of one of the faithful members. And I could not, uh, she was like a mother to me, so I could not miss that. And so we stayed, uh, I, you know, didn't make that year. But every other year I have been on the Preterist and Weekend uh, speaking. And that has been a tremendous encouragement to me. And then we started our seminar in 2014, and we had we didn't have one in 2015, but we had one in 2016, and we plan to have one this year. So things are just continuing to grow uh, for us in terms of the influence. And, and with all of that, you know, we've had debates over the years. Uh, we've we've written tracks that have gone around the world. Uh, I was amazed to get responses from people in Australia and India and um, Um, England and all of these places from the little track, you know, a little series of tracks I wrote that were like one page each, triple folded. And But, you know, I would take one point and just illustrate that. That was one of the key issues involved in eschatology. And people loved those little tracks. You know, they were all around the states and everything. Even when I went to the debate uh, with the guy that debated Jack Scott that I was to debate debate, a year later, uh, we went down there, and they had copies of the tracks. So it was just amazing that these things circulated. So while they were trying to, uh, while the you know the opposition was seeking to um, prevent us from teaching by shutting us down in the churches, etc., we resorted to the pen and to audio tapes, you know, cassettes at the time, and continued to publish information, continued to write. And continued to speak on seminars, and over time, technology developed. Here comes the internet. Here comes DVDs and and uh, MP3s and MP4s, etc. And now YouTube channels and everything else. So that we're teaching people on a on a daily basis, and we're still, you know, debating and teaching and um, and traveling. Now, you know, we're getting invitations from places that we never thought we would go, I guess, initially, but you know we've been to places like Australia, um, several countries there. Uh, dunn has been to Paris. He's been to the UK. Uh, I have an invitation to Nicaragua in Central America this year. We've been invited to India, to Brazil, to um, Philippines, and um, it just continues to happen to Africa, South Africa. Um, there's a large number of people who are listening to uh, broadcast in those particular areas so that's kind of it and I guess I talked a lot about that I haven't said a whole lot about myself but I'm married I've been married for wow a long time my wife's in the (laughs) next room (laughs) but we have three children and um all adults two of them live here in the city and uh in Memphis and one my son lives in Chicago Uh, and we have four grandchildren and um you know we've um just had an exciting time. It's been tough at times. You know, it was—it's it was, been a struggle. We have—we have to deal had to deal with early on a lot of just ostracism and uh, hate, you know, speech and attitudes, etc. But the Lord pulled us through all of that. We're we're fine today. We we live a fairly comfortable life, and um, we're very thankful for where things have come, and are just grateful that we have the opportunity to be servants
1: in sharing this information. That's nice. You know, it certainly brings up the question when it comes to you know Christianity is supposed to be this religion of love and tolerance and patience and long suffering and etc. etc. And uh, you don't seem to find that too much when it comes to doctrinal doctrinal disputes and arguments. And uh, so, you know, uh, my hats off to you to persevere. and the truth, because there's a lot of people that would be truly broken from the situation. Because, uh, only from my own experience, you know, my journey on my show, the earlier show, Nothing But The Truth, now I'm starting a new one, just because I just want to change things. But uh, I spent, spent a lot of time, you know, I grew up a Mormon, went on a Mormon mission, actually, very similar story, uh, I was, you know, in California, and had a chance to, being a band was going to open up for Kenny Loggins on the West Coast tour and all this nonsense. And uh, it's like 2019, 19 it must have been, Mm -hmm. hanging out with guys in their 30s, you know, and bragging about cheating on their wives and cocaine and all that. It just didn't fit in. And uh, so I ended up going back home and saving my money and went on a Mormon mission to England of all things. but. In the process of being a Mormon, a missionary for the Mormon church, I uh, like the majority of folks to do that. I uh, left the church and uh, was a man of the world. And it wasn't until my son was born, about five years ago, that I started really asking questions. And I've really done a lot of research uh, on the, you know, Christianity, what it means to be a Christian, et cetera, trying to figure out. Because I, I just couldn't, and I still don't feel... Uh, William, that I, I fit in anywhere as a Christian, as far as a group goes, mm-hmm. and I think you, you probably can relate to that with your own experience, where you just feel like uh, you know, when, if you're going to be pursuing, you know, the way, the truth, and the life, it it didn't promise you uh, it didn't promise you a lot of friends, did he? Just <laughs> but, no, as, <laughs> no, as a matter of fact.
0: He, he said the people who who um, that people would kill you think that they're doing god a service and he mentioned that you know you were going to be cast out and the servant was not greater than his lord and i've had to take you know refuge and strength from those passages a lot of times when i had to face you know not having what they traditionally call the preacher's um life or career um you know where you Uh, enjoyed a lot of fellowship of peers and everything else. I mean, I still have these same guys who just consider me an anathema uh, from that perspective. But, you know, we make a lot of other friends. And that's what I tell people who uh, come into The View today who are being cut off and shut down by the churches and they're distraught, and naturally so, you know, because these are relationships that they've built and appreciate, and it's a sense of family to them. And then getting shut out of them is very devastating for some of them. And some of them are not as, um, you know, immersed into the view. They're just beginning to learn it, so they don't have a lot of a foundation. And many of them can get swept up in that and just totally lose it in the process. So when I have an opportunity to speak with them, you know, I just let them know, look, you know, you lost some friends, but, hey, you you got a lot of new friends now. You have a new family now, and, um, you know, at least you can talk to people who have been through the same experience you've been through and, you know, learn about how we've made it, and we can empathize with you about what's going on and kind of help you to get through it. And that has helped, you know, some of the younger guys who are coming along, and it keeps them from that temptation of just going back just so they can fit in. I've seen guys who have stood up and publicly proclaimed this And they believe it, but because the purse strings get pulled, they will get up and recant and just stay status quo because they don't want to rock the boat and they don't want to uh, go through the experience of having to take care of themselves. That's the other thing that I've had to do. I mean, I was a full-time preacher um, with parsonage and everything, you know, a a really good um, uh, salary back at the time. Um, as as that goes, you know, some 30 years ago, it was more than a lot of my older peers were earning, and uh, a better situation than many of them had. It was a rather large congregation, um, you know, as average congregations go at that time, and was growing tremendously. You know, we, you know, I remember baptizing 25, 30 people a year, um, but once you you know, lose that, uh, it, it, becomes, you know, a whole different, uh, story. And, uh, so when these guys go through that, you know, you are there to just tell them, Hey, it'll be okay. You'll make it through. I remember Max saying that to me when it happened to me and it didn't feel comfortable at all <laughs> when he said it. And I couldn't, you know, it was hard to even believe it, but he said, you know, you'll be okay. You'll make it. And and that's pretty much all he said. I try to give a little bit more encouragement to people than that, you know, uh, in the process. But it has helped them. And we've taken a person who appeared to be distraught and feeling like they want to give up and helped them move through that state of mind very quickly so that they continue to be effective in their teaching. And, And now they're stronger as a result of it. So it's just a matter of mentoring people along the way. And helping them to overcome that, and that's that's very important, you know, because a lot of people don't understand how great that loneliness can be when you are um, when you are treated that way. You know, you're ostracized. They cut off your means of income and uh, cut off your social fellowships. You don't have a, a peer group to relate to, et cetera. Uh, from that perspective, and it can affect your family, your livelihood, and so you're going through all of this. Um, that's that's a tremendous strain on, on, you know, your psyche at the time and, and finances and everything else. Uh, but if you can help a person through that and cut that time frame where they get back to, you know, being stable and being effective and being useful, then um, it works out better. And because we're growing and we have come to this point today, uh, we were able to do that a lot more effectively. And I'm just sensitive to it because when I went through it, it, it appeared, you know, to be one of those situations where I was all alone. I remember when Don went through it, but I was there um, to help him to, you know, just, you know, I was there to be a soundboard for him, to listen to what he was going through. I could tell him what he was going to face. I remember when he was, you know, trying to determine uh, his presentation before his elders, et cetera. And I told them, I said, here's what they're going to say to you. This is how it's going to go down. And it went down exactly as I told him it was going to go down because I had been through it before. You know, they give lip service to listening to you. Their aim was not to, and I'm not saying all elders are like this, but I'm saying some of them were like this, that they listen to you so they can just get enough evidence to condemn you. That's, you know, that's what they want. And, uh, and that's sad to say, but, you know, it's what happened.
1: Yeah, and it happens. I mean, I'm my own personal experience. You know, it's going down this road and finally realizing that you know the predator's point of view is the one that's most sound, and uh, actually sharing that uh, is well. Let's put it this way. Here's an interesting scenario. Today, uh, before the show, I called my mother to see how she's doing, and. and, she starts talking. She had a stroke and all that, so one of the things is giving her a chance to talk, even though mm-hmm. you, you probably know what it's like being a son to a mother. It's just like, okay, there's only so much I can handle. Okay, mm-hmm. but uh, you do it anyways. And uh, She's like, two years from now, uh, the rapture's going to happen. I'm like, oh, gosh, really? Really, God? Mm-hmm. Couldn't it be any more t- better timing. Here I'm going to be having a show about preterism with some, someone and... Uh, uh, 20 minutes earlier uh, or half an hour earlier my mom's telling me that the rapture's going to happen in two years he's just a guy it. and of course you and I we've heard this you know anybody's done any kind of research on this and has paid attention it's like every other month there's a a, a new second coming so but um, uh, yeah the thing is is with this and this is where I want to go if it's all right with you if, if you want to go down a different direction you certainly can but the very first question that I asked you in the, uh, the email that I sent you was uh, the relationship between uh, preterism and the Jesuit priest, Alcazar. And I don't know if you've done much research on this, but I'm telling you, as those who have heavily influenced, as I was, on historicism, historicist approach, um, anti-evangelicals the modern-day evangelicals to some point, some degree, but um, one of the big barriers that they throw at you, uh, and I did it; I was guilty of it. I have shows about it, but I've, about uh, Alcazar, mm-hmm. and that you know, just being a Jesuit ploy, you know, to dis, you know distract people from what the Bible actually says, because you you know it's the influence of futurism and, and preterism, and um, well. I would like to ask you, I mean, what is from your research the influence of Alcasar? Because first of all, once you really study this? And this, by the way, this, the fact, this simple little fact, this little factoid, this little meme that was thrown at me and I threw at other people, prevented me from even looking into preterism. Once yes. I started looking into preterism and to say, well, you know, could I be wrong about this? Because I've been wrong about just about everything else in my life. Uh, could it possibly be the case? And uh, turned out, yeah, I mean, if, well, if Alcazar is the reason for preterism, then he must have written the Bible himself, too. So yeah. it's, it's more of a label and a term that's to, to keep you from actually reading what the Bible is actually, what it's actually saying.
0: Right. Well, you know, people are always looking for ways to discredit uh, the preterist view, those who oppose it. And they found... A little bit of solace in using uh, Luis de Alcazar, uh, who was, what, who lived around the 16th century, if I'm not correct. Um, But at any rate, uh, as a matter of fact, I had a debate recently back in December, uh, December the 2nd of last year, uh, audio recorded debate um, on a, a platform such as this, and the guy brought it up. And he said preterism was from this Jesuit priest.
1: Uh, and, you know, and it's a big issue, too. It is, it's really a powerful point before you get going. Because, uh, you know, Jesuits, are they have a lot of, you know, we think of the counter-reformation. You think about just the fact of how they're influenced us today and a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of bad things happened through the Jesuits, let's put it that way. <laughs> right.
0: And so he, he used it. And so it, it becomes a good red herring argument and mad dog argument, I guess, you know, I would say where you um, look at something that, you know, he wanted to associate it with the Catholic Church and all of the vices that we know about the Catholic Church and now say preterism is lumped in with that. So, you know, with all of those uh, teachings and, and so here you are Um but one of the things that I pointed out was, and of course, you know, you had the, the churches accusing Catholicism of being the mother of harlots in Revelation, and that's where a lot of their interpretations from the book of Revelation, you know, uh, stem from by focusing on the Catholic Church as the mother of harlots, and so they say that Louis Alcazar, Came up with that view on the book of Revelation uh, to help address that issue. Well, first and foremost, or distract, uh,
1: distracted, lead them towards something else like Nero or whatever uh, yes. as being the, you know, the Antichrist and all that nonsense and That's the exactly. little horn, the little horn of Daniel and all that. So, yeah,
0: right. And so, um, first and foremost, what people should understand is. The view of the Catholic Church is not a preterist view. There are millennialists. Um, they don't believe to this day that all prophecy has been fulfilled. And I pointed that out in the discussion, that the position of Louis Alcazar would be more of a, what we call a partial preterist view, where you take the book of Revelation or a few other passages and place them in 70 AD but you still look forward to this future fulfillment of the coming of the Lord that is not our view in terms of preterism our view is that all Bible prophecy was fulfilled in connection with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD in that first century generation so first and foremost trying to align us with Alcazar is incorrect to begin with it actually fits The partial preterist paradigm. But from that, you know, simply because the word preterist means past, and he took this past view on Revelation, is the reason why they do it. But I think that needs to be pointed out that even to this day, I mean, you couldn't even charge the Catholic Church with being preterist from the perspective of being a full preterist, what we call a full preterist. Uh, meaning that all prophecy has been fulfilled, because they don't believe it. I have a Catholic book on my bookshelf that shows what they believe. And I uh, used to have a website where I had actually uh, critiqued some of their eschatological teachings. But I I think I let that website go, and so I don't have those, those articles anymore. But I had one of their authors who wrote a lot on eschatology, and they still teach futurist eschatology. As a matter of fact, we, we have converted some of the uh, some Catholic preachers in terms of adopting full preterism from their view. So if they're following Alcazar uh, on some of their views, like the book of Revelation, they would be more in line with most Protestant churches or many Protestant churches who takes some passages to be 70 AD and uh, others to be future, which would be a more correct uh, analysis of what he believes. So when people use him, understand that they are abusing logic and reason, they are abusing the information regarding him and trying to ascribe it to us, and it doesn't fit because they are futurists and we
1: are not. Right. Well, yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot of things. The the problem is is if well these are addressed if uh, if you read the, what the Bible actually says and, and uh, <laughs> anyways we'll get to that. But El yeah, yeah, uh, 1578, mm-hmm. then around that period, right, 1540, uh, 1554 to 1613, Spanish Jesuit theologian and. Um, about the same time as uh, the beginning of the the Reformation, Counter-Reformation, and uh, apparently it's the 500-year anniversary of that, which is, yeah, we go down that road too. That's an interesting thing in itself, the Reformation, Counter-Reformation. But uh, the real important issue here is preterism and the fact that uh, uh, we're talking about a book that was communicating a message to a group of people that existed a long, long generations ago time. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, the next question I had to ask was the importance of the audience relevance concerning the Bible. And uh, in order for, uh, for, for instance, futurists or even the historicists or just about any of the camps out there in the denominations, in Christendom, to maintain their stance, they have to somehow, some way, make it seem like today you and I are that audience. Now, who was the audience in the Bible?
0: According That's to you. a very, very good question, and it's amazing, Michael, how often we have to revert back to teaching basic fundamentals of hermeneutics or Bible interpretation. In other words, just simply how to understand the Bible. And the first rules of understanding the Bible is knowing who's being, who's doing the speaking, who's being spoken to, and what's being spoken about. And if you fail to answer those questions, you can end up with a lot of weird and strange doctrines and, of course, misunderstandings apply many of the things that are written in just plain English. And let's go back to Matthew 24, for example. When you read Matthew 24 and the parallel text in Luke 21 and Mark 13, you find that Jesus held this conversation privately with his disciples, and he names them as Peter, James, John, and Andrew. These were men who lived in the first century. And so in addressing this message that we call the um, Olivet Discourse, he is initially speaking to them. And so when you begin to read through the text and you find the words you and your Etc., as in, I say to you, and when you see these things, etc., you do this, you flee to the mountains, etc. He's speaking of his specific generation of which those apostles were a part of, and then tells you all of those things would happen in that generation. Now, what happens is we have, because of traditions, People who approach the Bible in believing, as you were saying a moment ago, that it just applies to everyone, and that's where you make the Bible begin to teach something falsely that it does not teach. If you understood that the pronouns in the text refer back to people who were living then, that would mean that the events described apply to their time this is why some people who do recognize that will then try to create another set of prophecies called the dual fulfillment of prophecy so that they can make those things happen a second time which they don't even jesus tells you in matthew 24 and verse 21 that there would be such tribulation such as never was since there was a nation no up to this time no nor ever shall be So there is no repeat of that information anymore than there is a repeat of Jesus dying on the cross. And that is what audience relevance is all about. If a person were to take just that simple concept and read the scriptures, especially the eschatological scriptures, those that deal with the coming of the Lord, it would resolve a lot of interpretive problems that people have. And as you were saying about the conversation with your mother uh, just moments ago when she was talking about the rapture, you would have no one teaching such a thing in this day and time if they understood that in those eschatological writings, Paul was writing to a specific audience, a specific generation telling them what was going to happen in their lifetime and not about us. The Bible is written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to Israel, to the people who were considered the nation of God, the, um, and uh, to those out of that nation who began to follow the Messiah in the first century. And that is what, and the focus of those writings. Now, we can take secondary applications from them. We can teach and learn what's being said and then apply it, not to make it future, but to say this is what happened then. We would no more place the coming of the Lord in our future as we would the flood Of Genesis 6, the Exodus, and the entering into the land, the crossing of the Red Sea, all of those were spoken to a generation of people living at that time, and we understand how to apply it. But when we get to eschatology, we abandon everything we know about understanding the Bible. And these events that were prophetic in the past, and we turn them into future prophecies, and that is just simply uh, incorrect. It violates plain statements in the Bible that tell you the time frame, the historical event that it's associated with, and the generation of people who would be living when that event occurred. And it all happened in 70 A.D. Well documented, and If we're going to follow audience relevance, that's what we have to do. As a matter of fact, one other thing. The Bible will tell you, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when it speaks in the Old Testament of the time that was to come, it would say, these things are not near. But in the New Testament, when it speaks of them, it would say, these things are at hand. So they were for a specific generation. I love the passage in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, for example, um, when the Bible says that the prophets inquired and searched diligently of those things that had been prophesied, uh, when they prophesied of the grace that would come to you. And he said, they were searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, the glories that would follow are the eschatological things, the eschatological events that relate to fulfillment of the coming of the Lord and resurrection of the dead, judgment, etc., but in verse 12 he says to them meaning to those prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. as well as in the Torah, Moses, cuz Moses talked about him as well. To them it was revealed that not to themselves. So God is telling you right there. It's not for the people who are initially stating this like the prophets. But to us, well that us in this text. 1 Peter 1:12. 1, is not Michael and myself who are living today, nor any of you who may be listening. The us in that text is Peter and his generation. So the prophets were very specific. They nailed that down pretty tight, that they were talking about the generation in the day of the Messiah. To us they were ministering the things which now, So they use this temporal term, N-O-W, that now have been reported to you through the gospel uh, by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. So in the next verse when he says, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, those are the same people that he talked about in verse 10. had received the gospel the holy spirit in the first century and therefore were the recipients of these things in their initial fulfillment and it's an amazing it's one of the most simple concepts but it's one of the most ignored when we get to the subject of eschatology
1: right think of Oakham's razor and the simplest answer usually is the case um also uh you know, the, the importance of this message, the importance of uh, preterism, and, and, you know, the power of preterism, as uh, Don would say, is that, uh, and I'll say it in my own terms, because I don't have to worry about offending anybody, <laughs> is that it will protect you from becoming a useful dupe. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you see, uh, that the peddlers are fear porn throughout the internet, and uh, and also those people that have nefarious uh, agendas, not everyone, but enough of them, and I would argue that even, I'd hate to say it, that there maybe be some governmental elements involved, then it's to their advantage to peddle this fear porn and this future uh, second coming and the end of the world scenario. Uh, but if you actually believe what the Bible is saying and you have put your faith in what Christ did and that he did fulfill all the things, then uh, you, you actually uh, puts the onus on you to be more uh, proactive in your environment and to not be so tolerant to some of the things that are going on out there. That, you know, uh, this whole waiting for a Savior that this to temporarily save us of the circumstances that we're in, well... <clears throat> You realize he's done. He's done. his finished his work, and it's your responsibility in this uh, physical plane that we live on to actually be more proactive about things and not take, just accept things the way they are and wait for something to happen. Plus, the fact, as I've heard you mention numerous times in your own uh, YouTube channel, uh, which is so self-evident, is you see numerous people that will end up abandoning their personal responsibilities, their uh, their own personal welfare, uh, their homes, money, and everything. Um, to, with the, this whole nonsense that the second coming is going to happen, and it doesn't show up, Christ doesn't come, and um, the, the only thing that anybody's profiting from this I hate to say this, now you you can tell me if I'm wrong, but what, at least one of the largest groups that are property from this are, is what I call the priestcraft. There's a lot of folks out there, and I'm sure they even believe, in what many even believe in what they're saying, but uh, none of this stuff would be tolerable if we're witnessing at this point, whether it's Zionism, whether it's what's going on in the state of Israel, what's going on in this own country. Uh, what, your pastor is saying to you on a Sunday morning. So it's really important. This is an extremely important message. I mean, it's it's beyond whether you even believe in in Jesus Christ and if you believe in him at all. I mean, this has been a tool for the manipulation of the masses for so long. And you look at all these these twisted denominations out there. You know, me being one who was you know raised a Mormon, and you know all the it just it's it's if you know that it's all been fulfilled, if you accept it, the a guy like Joseph Smith or uh, Hubbard from uh, Scientology or whoever is no longer there. They can't manipulate you. They can't convince you. They can't think because of that one simple message of a future second coming and, uh, and just around the corner and the whole world's going to end and, uh, things are going to change. And well, it's not there anymore. And then you're going to have to deal with reality. And reality is, is that, you know, God's given us this opportunity in this physical plane to make the most of it <laughs> and to be responsible on our on all our little destiny here, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's really important. It's beyond religion itself. And it's it has to be, in my opinion, and if you go beyond, if you're capable or anybody that listens to this, doesn't even believe in the Bible, doesn't believe in any of it, to understand how important this message is and how it affects your daily life. It affects all our daily lives. It affects politics. The decisions that are being made today. Uh, globalization, if you will, uh, everything, because people, you know, look at the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, they feel the divine right that they have for a thousand-year reign, and they're the ones that are going to be in charge of it all. I mean, it's just craziness is what has happened. So it's really important. Uh, The next message, of course, goes along with this, and it's about the immediacy of the end of the age and the second coming of Christ in the New Testament. We talked about that a little bit. Um, But the the fourth question is the apocalyptic, uh, the prophetic apocalyptic age of the, uh, or excuse me, apocalyptic language of the Old and New Testament. And I think that leads into... What I've been saying, what you're saying to the next question, and I know we could go, we could do a series for the next 10 years on this. I know this, but I'm trying to just, you know, simplify the message as much as possible, because it's, if we can grasp the apocalyptic language, what that means, um, then a lot of the things that they've been throwing at us from, whether it's Matthew 24, even in the, the revelations, can't be thrown at us anymore as far as what the end of the world is going to be. So uh, can you explain to the audience uh, what is the apocalyptic language of the Old and New Testament? And how is it used and applied? And if you can, it, hopefully that made sense, my question. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, yeah, okay. it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I, I um, even wanted to comment a little bit on the things that you were saying earlier, but you did a great job on explaining
1: Go ahead ahead and comment. We can always get to that, so go ahead and comment.
0: Uh, Okay. Well, you know, you talked about waiting and the apathy that futurism breeds. Uh, If people do history and research, and of course you can just look at the observations around us, uh, we have retreated from involvement. The people who are carrying on movements generally are not uh, people who are – focused on righteousness, but those who are focused on unrighteousness. I mean, we've seen that uh, in the most recent years. Um, and what has happened, and this was sort of written into the paradigm of futurism, particularly dispensationalism, which uh, is nothing but the um, doctrinal child of Zionism. If you study dispensationalism, uh Thoroughly, you will find that it was basically created by the Zionists, the people who were pro Israel in terms of getting land for Palestine, uh, you know, getting the land of Palestine for the Jewish state, what we see today as the um, state of Israel. Now, look at what has happened with that. And I know that there are a lot of Israel supporters, et cetera. But look at the lives that are being destroyed in that conflict, not just within Palestine, but all of the wars that have been created, all of the tax dollars that are being spent to maintain this military machine on a global basis is associated with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you, can, if you would do the research you will find and many people have said that you know, America fights Israel's wars and we've been engaged in war pretty much throughout the entire existence of America well it's not in a vacuum if you do the research but this idea of waiting and, and this apathy was built into dispensationalism I have a book that says people were forbidden to or, or discouraged from studying math you know the engineering sciences um, saving money I've talked to people who said they wouldn't go to college and wouldn't get married because they were expecting the end of the world to occur we all know of statements where people have sold all their goods and went up into the mountains and in the clouds to wait and watch I know people even to this day, who told me they would spend hours at a time staring at the stars and looking out into space, waiting for Jesus to come?
1: <laughs> and yeah, and I remember. I remember you talking about that in one of your uh, yeah, your, uh, in your
0: exactly. on, on YouTube channel. And, and, and then you've had presidents who believed that they were carrying out Bible prophecies. Ronald Reagan was one of them a very staunch dispensationalist uh, uh, pro-Israel in believing that he was fulfilling Bible prophecy. Now, you got to understand, these men have the capability of punching buttons for nuclear bombs. (laughs) And if they believe that they are carrying out Bible prophecy and are persuaded that this nation that was destroyed in 70 A.D., has been created through the modern state of Israel, which is absolutely not true.
1: It's not biblical yes. anywhere, nowhere is it.
0: Exactly. And that you have to support them, then you can imagine how devastating that could be to the rest of the world, and how devastating it is. It's the whole reason why we have no peace in the world today among many of these nations. Ever since that has uh, taken place. Um, And so the fear that goes on there is just absolutely, um, it's just uh, amazing. And so uh, we need to really focus on some of these things. But what we're dealing with here is a worldview. And I like what Michael was saying a moment ago when he said, this affects people who are not even Christians, and it does. It's a worldview. And it's going to affect you whether you believe in God or whether you do not. It is already affecting you whether you believe in God or whether you do not. And it will continue to do so. And the only message that's going to help to change that as far as the, um, their end-time focus and what's going on is the, preterist, uh, is the preterist view. Now, he mentioned apocalyptic language. And apocalyptic language is what we would call metaphor, metaphors, you know, personification and all of the figures of speech, that can be used to describe events and apocalyptic language is you know the language in which they would the the prophets of old would encouch various events particularly that are related to the end time where they're drawn out in these very colorful images of um, some you know the beasts the clouds and all of these things now this language was actually more commonly spoken among the Hebrews. It seems more strange to us because we're not familiar with it. But it's just the figures of speech that are used to talk about the end time things. When they mention clouds and earthquakes um, and the shaking of heaven and earth and uh, concepts like that, they're not always talking about Literal things, mountains quaking, um, re of the earth from a desert, etc. These are metaphors, these are uh, figurative expressions of this renewal that is coming about spiritually speaking. You do have examples of, of where you have wastelands that you know would like the desert that would be floor that would flourish, and um eclipses and things of that nature. But at the same time, this is language that's used and it follows a very consistent pattern in the Bible. Uh, For example, the falling of the sun and moon and the stars is an example of civil and religious authorities being in power and then losing that power. Um, One of the earliest... Let's take heaven and earth, for example, and the sun, moon, and stars, just as an example. Well, when you read Genesis 4, you read that the heavenly bodies, like the sun, moon, and stars, were lights, but they were also for signs and for seasons. So they were used to determine and to mark off epochs of time, periods of time. But then when you get to Genesis 39, you, you run into a prophet – I mean a, a uh, story – like that of Joseph when he said he dreamed, and he dreamed that the sun, the moon, and the stars came and bowed down before him. <laughs> and his, fa- his brothers were upset at the dream. His father said, you know, in the dream, when they related it, shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow down to you. Now, that dream actually was fulfilled. When Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt, there was a famine in the land, and they all had to go to Egypt in order to find sustenance. Joseph was the prime minister. His brothers bowed down to him, and literally the prophecy was fulfilled. But it was encouched in what we would call apocalyptic language or figurative language that metaphor that he used as the sun, moon, and the stars bowing down to him. His, the 11 stars referred to his 11 brethren, brothers, and the moon, his mother, the sun, his father. They all were older than he, had more authority than he did, and so they represented different aspects of authority over Joseph. Uh, up until the time... He was ruler over the sun, moon, and stars. So Joseph, in that example, was a type of Christ who ruled over all the land, and the sun, moon, and stars obeyed him, if you please. That's the idea. Now, you can find other examples of sun, moon, and stars falling, as the Bible would say, from, from the heavens in the book of Isaiah, chapter 34. In chapter 13, but they are reference to Babylon in chapter 13. They are reference to uh, Edom in Isaiah 34, and in Joel's prophecy regarding the Holy Spirit, quoted in Matthew 24:29, and also um, Acts 2 and other passages in the New Testament, refer to Israel as that heaven and earth that would be destroyed. That's the use of apocalyptic language. And so when you're reading it, it sounds like it's speaking of, to the untrained mind in Hebraic thought, it sounds like it's talking about the literal heaven and earth, but it's actually speaking of the heaven and earth of Judaism. Let me make this one point. If you study heaven and earth in the scriptures... You will find that in one case, the Bible will say heaven and earth will never be destroyed. That it will last as long as the sun, the moon, and the stars. As long as the throne of God. As long as the days of heaven. And then, on the other hand...
1: That's in Daniel?
0: uh, Or Isaiah?
1: Isaiah. uh,
0: Well, you'd find... Uh, one of those passages in Psalm 89, okay. all right, where he says um, that his, his um, throne would continue as long as the sun and the moon. Uh, I think it's uh, Psalm 72, maybe verse 17, but Psalm 72 where he says that the sun and moon or, would continue as long as the name of God. And then also in Psalm 89, in the earlier verses, he would say it would continue as long as the days of heaven. Okay. Now, we have a problem if the Bible says, and there are many other passages, there are are tons of these passages, we have a problem if the Bible tells you on the one hand that the sun and the moon is going to continue as long as the throne, which is the kingdom of God, and the days of heaven. If... The sun and moon are one day going to be destroyed, because here's what the Bible says about the kingdom in Isaiah nine and Daniel two and Daniel seven, that the kingdom has no end. That it will last forever and ever.
1: There you go. Yeah, yep.
0: that it is. Say um,
1: Say that. Say end. that. Say that verse again for folks.
0: That it will last forever and ever. That's Daniel 7, 27. Okay, Okay, thank you. And Daniel 2, 44 um, and 45. The kingdom that will never be destroyed. And then Isaiah 9 and verse 7. That the kingdom has no end. And it's quoted again in Luke 1, 32 and 33. Now, if something has no end... There is no such thing as the last day in that event, in that kingdom, in that entity. And then if it's speaking of the days of heaven, heaven has no end. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you're talking about uh, the heavens above you or the heavens where God dwells. It still says the throne of God would last that long. So if you make it the heaven above you if you bring the kingdom or the throne to an end you would have to bring the heaven above you to the to an end and if that if the heaven above you ends it would mean that the kingdom of God has an end so what does that do for the people who want to enter the kingdom they eventually will come to an end well if you understand that just doesn't work, and you say, Well, it's the heaven where God dwells. The result is the same. If it comes to an end, then the heaven where God dwells will come to an end. What will that do for God and for the people who go to heaven, um, who, who, has he- who have heaven is their hope? So, my point in saying that is this whenever, and this is a principle that I teach. And that the the Bible teaches, whenever a scripture mentions the end of heaven and earth, it is always apocalyptic language. Without fail, without exception, it is always apocalyptic if it ever speaks of the end of a heaven and earth, in whatever context you find it. The reason for that is because the material heaven and earth, this universe in which we live will never come to an end because God just promised you the kingdom based on the perpetuity the continuance of the physical universe so if the kingdom has no end the material universe has no end and God is willing to stake the promise of his throne on the fact that the sun moon, winter, summer and harvest time will not cease. Okay. That's important for people to get. That way, it doesn't matter whether you're reading it in the book of Revelation, like Revelation twenty eleven, when it says uh, heaven and earth fled from the presence and there was no place found for them. Or if you're reading it in Second Peter 3, when it says heaven and earth shall be destroyed by fire, uh, the elements should be burned up, or whether you're reading it in Hebrews 12 or Matthew 24, it doesn't matter where you read it. If it's a heaven and earth that's being destroyed, it cannot be the material universe. It is always apocalyptic language. And in every example that I cited, it was the heaven and earth of Israel. It was Israel's sun, moon, and stars, their government, their religious system that was being destroyed. That's the meaning of the end of heaven and earth in the New Testament.
1: Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great to me, actually. Uh, uh, not that I was everything against uh, the people at the time, I don't know them, but, uh, yeah, this whole thing about worrying about, it's not even worrying about, because I see it's so many people, oh, I can't wait for it to happen. I'm just like, really? Yeah. Do you realize how self-centered you sound? I don't think they even realize how self-centered they sound. They're just like, oh, no, but that's because I love the Lord and all that. Do you really love the Lord that much? Do you love the Lord that much that you would not even know who he is? What he's done for you? And uh, so, uh, I don't know, if you're willing to come back on my show again, William, the next show I'd like to do with you is just that. What did the Lord do? Do for us. What did Jesus Christ actually do for us? And what I'm sorry, I'm you know back. what I mean? Because you know a lot of people. It, well, it even seems like that message itself has been uh, diluted and uh, dim, uh, diminished. Yes. And uh, it's just so the power of preterism is really that. I mean, if you can really grasp the fact that. <clears throat> The magnitude that this it all was fulfilled and uh, you know and one of the questions too inevitably we'll have to I uh, would like us to deal with if we want to is the great what if or no, excuse me what then question because you know most people they're putting their faith in uh, futuristic eschatology or they're they're the pope you know there's a time I was the pope pope buster you know what I mean Exposing the papacy, you know, or, or what, you know, there's, there's this great vacuum once you realize that it's all been, or that potential that everything was fulfilled. is, The question then arises, what if?
0: Well, here's, here's a verse that sums it up. We won't talk about it now, but just, you know, that whole concept is encouched in a single verse. From Proverbs 13 and verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, meaning when it is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. So the difference between the what then and the what now is sickness versus a tree of life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... uh, Anyways, uh, I think it's.
0: Matter of fact, I'm going to use that tomorrow. I just I just thought about It It fits perfectly in the uh, subject matter that I'm dealing with um, because of that idea of Israel viewing sickness, especially when it was terminal or appeared to be so, as already being dead, and then the opposite of that being the tree of life. So thank you for that question.
1: (laughs) Oh no problem. So yeah, there's there's so much to to the magnitude, once again, of uh, preterism is just profound. So, and it goes beyond uh, Alcazar, goes beyond the Jesuits. goes beyond Christ- uh, uh, Judo Christianity or Catholicism. goes beyond it all. I mean, it's just to the, the root and essence of what is the truth and what really is the anchor of the truth and uh, what will it, how will it empower you? Uh, I mentioned already earlier and I'll mention again this is for those who are interested this is not something to do with William Bell but uh, you've got you got to be kidding write the full version get that one and listen to that for a good foundation of preterism. I think it's the best thing out there for a beginner to listen to um, and then you got once again uh, uh, uh uh, William Bell Jr., his uh, our guest tonight. Uh, the website www.allthingsfulfilled.com, um, You got the I don't know. You guys still doing the radio show at all, or are you just maintaining, maintainingly just uh, mostly just uh, doing the YouTube channel thing?
0: No, we're doing. Um, I do a separate radio show at the same time. I'm doing the Google Hangout, so. You've got the All Things Fulfilled broadcast still going on, and then Don and I do the Two Guys and a Bible broadcast every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, so my broadcast is generally every day. I don't do it every there. Sometimes I miss a few days, but for the most part, around 11 or shortly thereafter, you know, we're on. Uh, but whenever we're on the Google Hangout, we're simultaneously. Simultaneously on the audio broadcast as well. So yes, we continue to do that.
1: Okay, and then you got the YouTube channel, End Times Eschatology, All Things Fulfilled. Where uh, uh, William spends a lot of time uh, instructing folks and teaching, and uh, gives them a, an opportunity to be more, uh, I guess, uh, free flowing. You just get a chance to listen to what William has to say. So, hey, if you get a chance, tell uh, Don hi. And thank you for his work. i sure I really appreciate the fact that he went on uh, Heart of the Matter. I don't know if you saw that or not, but with the uh, uh, McCraney, Sean McCraney's, uh, he's mm-hmm. the guy. The ex-Mormon has been trying to help ex-Mormons, right. so uh, it was very interesting. So, and uh, hopefully, yeah, you come join us again. I'm going to end the recording. But if there anything closing remarks that you would like to share?
0: Well, I would just like to say to people who are listening and those who are considering um, the Preterist view, whether you are pro or con, just think about it and do take seriously the attitude of the Berean and have an open mind. Um, Understand that if you have questions about various texts on the end times, more than likely they can be answered and um, that if you will just restrain any um, ill will from hearing something different than you've heard all your life. You could find the blessing on the other side. But most importantly, thank you for your time in listening. Uh, We appreciate you and appreciate Michael for this opportunity. And I want to say, you know, uh, God bless you, and I look forward to another opportunity to
1: spend some time with you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Bill. Uh, please stay on, Bill, as I end the recording here. Sure. Uh, once again, this is old religion dystopia, knowing versus proof. And uh, for those who listen, thank you. Take care. All right. That's the end of the recording. and. Okay. uh I will uh, send you a copy of it if you want to put it on your YouTube channel. You certainly can. You can do whatever you want with it. So, okay, but uh, sure. I would love to have you come on again. And like I said, the second question is uh, uh, really what did Jesus Christ do for us? You know, what was the magnitude okay. of, of everything being fulfilled? You know what I mean? Sure. You know, most people get to the point of where the, at the cross and what happened and paying for our sins, and but that's they don't. <laughs> I mean, the magnitude of this is. That if you really put your faith in Jesus and, and He really did everything, then uh, well, you know what? Uh, the true, what is that true freedom that He gives us? And uh, you know, part of it is the freedom from the priestcraft out there, the uh, the deceptions, the lies that are, that are used oh, yeah. by the state, and by the church religious organizations to snare us and trap us and keep us from having true, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, we're trapped in this physical body, but, but to the same token, you know, <clears throat> the spiritual and mental uh, health that comes from just realizing that he, and believing and the fact that he fulfilled all things, it's just like, okay, I mean, I don't have to worry about all this nonsense. I don't have to put all this time and energy and all this stuff. I can, when I see, you know, the the, the, the uh, peddlers out there of fear and, and I can just go, well, that's what they are. They're just... Probably some folks trying to make a buck, make a name for themselves, and, uh, <laughs> and you just move on from it. You know what I mean? And uh, the other thing is, too, is just, just with other Christians, you can just like, listen, To really look into this. Because there, there's a lot of, it's a real freeing message when you think about it uh, in its full magnitude. So. And uh, anyways, uh, I really do appreciate you spending your time with me. William, and uh, I guess the th- question I have to ask for you is, uh, if you're willing to come back on my show, when? <laughs>
0: um, you know, when would you like to have me back? Um, you want to do it? Well, I've got this debate coming up in um, on the 12th of February. I think that's, that's the... Yeah, it's going to come on the 12th, and then we have a second debate on the...
1: What is, what is the debate on, again?
0: It's on the coming of the Lord. Um, I'm going to debate a Hebrew-Israelite on um, whether or not Christ came back in 70 A.D. He's going to affirm that the coming of the Lord is future in the second debate, um, and I will be affirming that it has already occurred in the first debate.
1: Well, maybe uh, a lot of times when I talk to folks that uh, believe in it and want to support, uh, and they have like a debate coming up, is that, you know, if you want to do a, a... Kind of an, not necessarily a rehearsal but just go over the material for yourself and if there's any of maybe I'll bring up some questions you know to help prepare mm-hmm. for your debate if you want I gotta look and see oh goodness where is it my schedule like I said I'm a full-time father so I don't want to and he's a five-year-old boy and <clears throat> So well that's 12th, so that's in a couple of weeks from now, right? would you uh, be willing, yes. would you be willing to come on before or do you want to wait till after the debate? What would you want to do? Uh, First of all.
0: Well we have time you know come on I, I think I'm, I'm a guest on another show on the uh, what is it uh, the 6th of February and um well, we can come on, you know, beforehand. We we've, we've got what another week or so. Let's see. Before all of that, it is. Well, this is the. Yeah, next week we'll be into February. February, won't we? We will. <laughs> wow. Um. Oh, but your your show is on a Thursday, so yeah, we can get in another show. Uh, let's, let's. Well, do well, it.
1: actually, my I I usually if. I don't really have a set time. I uh, oh, okay. All right. I, I try to f- be f- as long as I have the. T- I'm not having my son uh, interrupting us. We can do it. Uh, the biggest thing is, uh, well, his mom did not send us her schedule yet. So the f- uh, she said I, g- I get him Wednesday the first after work, and you get him February the fifth. Do you have some time? Would you have time? Let's move. Oops. I was thinking, uh, let's Tuesday usually have uh, uh, Monday, the third, was Monday the third? Yeah,
0: Monday Monday is probably good. Well, you say Monday the third? Or do you mean Friday the third?
1: Uh, Oh, it is March. Let me try, yeah, I have to try this again. All right, February. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, um, normally Thursday would be good, but Mondays or Thursdays are good for me. The rest of the day. And and I can do some on Fridays. Uh, so Monday, Thursday, and Friday. But I prefer Mondays or Thursdays because that's the day that I'm probably, you know, that's my lightest schedule. I'm, I'm usually full on Sundays on Wednesdays, Tuesdays, and um, and Saturdays. But Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I mean Mondays, Thursdays, and and um, Fridays are options.
1: Are options? Okay. Well, you want to try the, the third on a Friday? Then it looks like I don't have my son.
0: Yeah, that that's good.
1: <sighs> I don't think much sense of what she's doing. So, all right. So, uh, yeah, if we could try the third. And uh, the next topic would be. Uh, are, are we? What would you like to? What would you like to talk about?
0: Well, I mean, you know, I'm open to whatever, Michael. Um, so well, if, if you want to make it a combination of the debate and some of the what if conversation, that's fine with me.
1: Well, uh, yeah, well, that, that that would what if would be a, a different one. So it'd be more about uh, well, basically, uh, uh, what is what does it mean that all things were fulfilled in seventy A.D. Maybe we should okay. do that, because it right. pretty much goes in line with what Christ has done for us. So I mean, what does it mean to, that all things are fulfilled, if you're willing to do that? And that goes along with your debate, right? Right. No? Right, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, that's cool.
1: So, and then we can talk about your debate and uh, let people know about it and how they can hear you and all that kind of thing. And is it going to be a live debate, or is it just going to be a recording one? Well, it's going to be on a Google
0: Hangout, so it'll be live.
1: Okay. So how do you how do you you know this debate, how do you uh, how does it affect you? <laughs> no seriously it's it's gotta be a, well first of all you know the first thing that comes to my mind is Romans chapter one, but also you know you're in a, such a we're in such a dilemma that you pretty much have to do this, and with this debating things it's I mean you're in a position basically. Although the other guy is thinking he's in the same position, but it's not true. You're in a position of pretty much exposing their their error. Yes. And so, I mean, it's a touchy situation to be in, but yet a very important situation to be in. And I just, how do you balance that?
0: Well, you know, Christ and the apostles exposed error all the time. You know, they engaged in debates all the time. Uh, particularly in the ministry of Christ, you know, he had debates with the Herodians, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, and um, so you know that's that's just a part of it. Um, the, yep. the book says debate your cause. So,
1: how, how do you do it in a loving way? Because I mean, it's got to it's got to affect you. You got to like. You know, there's got to be like, is this guy really that big of an idiot? Or is it, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't want to sound rude about it, but you know what no, I'm no, saying. No.
0: Well, we try to have respect for the other party in the debate, and we hope to receive the same. Now, when I debated Brother Josh from Absolute Bible Truth, that was not the case. I mean, he was very rude. And, uh, and that happened in the first debate I had with, uh, with Stephen Wiggins years ago. He was, a, a, you know, verbally abusive in the debate, you know, call me names and things Ed, of that nature. Yeah. And, and uh, so, you know, but you have to look over that and keep making your appeal to the audience and, you know, and just teach the word of God. And eventually a lot of that um, will turn against them because people will see that they're dealing with um, the, the person instead of dealing with the issues. Uh, So we try to avoid that and try to treat people, you know, in Christian decorum, um, the way we want to be treated in the debate. You know, sometimes there's a a need for strong language to be used when people are, you know, really getting abusive or something and you might have to rebuke someone. But other than that, you know, it's fine. I don't anticipate any of that with this gentleman. You know, he'll probably say some things like call me a false teacher and call the doctrine crazy and all that kind of stuff, which I expect him to do. But my aim is to keep people focused on what the Bible says and to prove that, you know, as best as I can from the scriptures. Um, and, I, you know, you, you go through all the emotions in the debate. You know, there are times when you have fun. There are times when you are relaxed. There are times when you're very intense. Um,
1: and well, that's the times- well, thing when it comes to because it's so logical and it's uh, cerebral and it's like uh, the predator's reproach is that. And you got to be really based, you just got to say, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says. And so you're dealing with uh, people that are, the emotion is irrational emotion, too. It's like, yes, it's yes. beyond, it's not like, you know, uh, well, you know, I lost my dog that I had for 20 years, you know what I mean, and I feel terrible about it, or whatever, you know what I mean. We're talking about something that people have put all their hopes and faith and their whole belief in something that is not true. I mean, it's based on a lie, and I understand how that uh, cognitive dissonance happens. But it's like I don't know. It's just like if we just—it's so obvious to me at this point. But I understand. I had to put a lot of energy into this, and I had to break away from a lot of things, and I had to pull away from a lot of people in order to really they had to sink in because of all the magnitude of what this means. You know what I mean? As far as because you know, I knew what the consequence it was. I knew that the my newfound friends in, in Christendom were going to not be my friends anymore, not because of my choice, but because I just know that they won't want to be around me. You know what I mean? If I... <laughs>
0: right, right, exactly. And, you know, you take all that in stride. And, um, you know, the, the aim is uh, God has his own way of reaching out to the people that, you know, have the open and honest hearts and also in convicting people who may not. So something will be said that will cause a person to start thinking you might hit on a problem that someone has been facing uh, and never been able to answer and then they may hear your answer to it. Or they may um, be open because you have explored something in a different way. Um, They may see you just thoroughly refute the other person's argument and realize, well, I can't make that one anymore. It's a lot of things that will cause people to change their mind. We have guys that listen to us debate back in the 90s who have now become debaters for full preterism themselves. When when we first met them, they were standing out in the aisles trying to teach us that we were wrong. And these same guys are now debating and doing a bang-up job with it. So... It just takes time, and people, a lot of times, people come around in their own time. Some of them, you know, just like the parable of the soils, uh, some spring up right away, some it takes a while, some get choked out, and some bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold.
1: You know, uh, uh, the other thing, too, is you think uh, Don would join us, or would he join me or in the show and talk? Oh, he, I'm he sure was? he
0: would. Um, okay. All you have to do is just let him know. And um, I can tell him as well, if you got the date and time, send me the date and time. Uh, I know we said, what, February the 3rd, right? And, yeah. And uh, it happens at 7.
1: Whatever time whatever time you want. It's, we're both at Eastern time. I'm, okay. I'm in Ohio. I'm in the board of uh, Ohio and Michigan. So, um, right. Now, I've,
0: Don usually takes Fridays off. You know, that's kind of his off date. I will ask him, but when it's eschatology now, and he's got an opportunity to share a message, he will be open to that. So let me go ahead and give it to him right away. Ask him if he's willing to come on the show and talk, and I believe he'd be more than happy to do it. And well, it, it,
1: you it, him, know, and that might be a might be a very interesting dynamic. The two of you and me asking, because you know I'm I'm not at, at your level, and I don't plan on being, but as a is. I guess as a man of the street, I can throw the the questions to your your folks. Away. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, it'd be it'd be great. I mean, we would we would love it. And uh, and I even plan on doing some collaborative efforts uh, with Don and others on my YouTube channel. We just haven't scheduled We talked about it, and when we were about to do it, you know, I had that debate come up, so I couldn't do it, and then they had some issues. So we're trying to get all that stuff together, you know, even well, now. But.
1: Yeah. Cause one of the things is, you know, I I, I did listen to the, the little series that you and Don did uh, on YouTube, and uh, uh, it was great, but yeah, frustrating. And it was frustrating because it was like, well, yeah, but just get to this point, get to this point. Get to... <laughs> I, didn't. I had questions. Yeah. Basically, I had questions that obviously <laughs> you, you two couldn't answer because I wasn't there to ask the question. But, uh, but the dialogue that you two had was fascinating, and... Uh, but, uh, you know, even if it's not the, the third, I still, you know, I want first and foremost to have you, I mean, I reached out to you first, so, and there's a reason, so, not that I don't like Don, I love Don, but just saying, you know, I think I can relate to, uh, William a little, maybe a little more, I don't know, it's just my gut feeling, so, All right. but, so, anyways, for whatever it's worth, so, uh, but yeah, but it'd be love to have both of you on, if it's not third, you know, we can do it at some other time, and, and, uh. Yeah, the, the way you two bounced off would be very interesting. And, you know, there's questions that you could ask each other that I wouldn't even know. But maybe I, I could stimulate, you know what I mean? So. Right. So, anyways, okay, cool. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, is it William you want me to call you? Should I call you Bill or? Well, William is preferred. Okay, all right. And thank you, William. Thank you for your time. And uh, when it's this finished recording, I'll send it your way, okay?
0: Okay, very good. And I'm—I've uh, already sent Don the message. So as soon as I get word back from him, I will uh, let you know.
1: Cool. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. Have a great night.